And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning to talk a little bit about, well, everything financially related. So we've got a lot of topics to get into this morning. A uh, couple of big pieces of news, of course, out overnight um, as the U.S. is talking about, and, and interestingly enough, right, um, the U.S. is talking about now sanctioning oil in Russia. And, of course, we've got to now cut a deal with, you know, another dictator down in Venezuela to get oil uh, into the U.S. We need to replace about three million barrels a day. That's the that's the that's what we import currently from Russia. Now, two years ago, we were exporting oil. And so this is, you know, really kind of the the change of the environment uh, ever since we started this kind of new woke movement in the country to get rid of that bad oil and gas drilling. Well, now this is why you be careful about, you know, crimping your own supply of stuff. And, and this is this is a problem. And this is going to potentially lead again. Analysts right now are forecasting as much as one hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars a barrel in oil. Now, we're never going to get there. Um, you know, these, and as we see this is, is always the case, right? We always have these very huge economic numbers coming out. It's like, we're going to go to $300 of doom and gloom, right? This is just to get you to, you know, click the article, read the headlines, etc. And as we talked about on Monday, make sure that you keep perspective in place, particularly when you have a lot of these headlines just kind of flying around everywhere. Uh, we have we have lived through this now for over two years, one headline to the next, right? It's just been uh, for a year and a half. It was all about COVID every day on on the media, every single day. You know, the number of deaths, we were tracking it person by person. And, you know, we got ourselves wrapped up to this whole big wad of fear they kept us from doing things that is, you know, that creates economic activity, right? And so we impaired the economy by our own actions because we were led into by fear. Now, and ever since now, we've had this war in the Ukraine going on, not nary a one headline on COVID as of lately. COVID has now magically disappeared that we have this war going on in Russia. Just, but again, one fear headline to the next to get you to act in a certain manner. And this is what's happening here, right? And so we're, we're getting wrapped up in fear. Now, oil prices at the pump are, and well, oil prices are going up, gas prices are going up at the pump. Absolutely, that's an inflationary problem. We have solutions for this, but it'll take time to get drilling up. And look, oil and gas drillers in the US will respond to high prices. High prices will drag out more CapEx, more investment, et cetera. You know, the rig counts are going up. We are seeing that activity. So supply will come online. It's just a function of time. And importantly, here we have this you know, news yesterday, and this is, this is always the case, right? I had a lot of people email me yesterday going, oh, I've got to go out and buy, you know, I'm going to go buy you know, oil futures. I'm going to you know, put money in energy stocks yesterday because of this announcement. Because if we ban Russia and Russia supplies, boy, oil prices go through the roof. Well, interestingly enough, oil prices are down this morning by a couple of percent. 
Now, why is that? We just put a ban on Russian oil. It's always kind of buy the rumor, sell the news in the markets. That's the way things work. People run into these things. And remember that oil prices in particular are all about speculation. Oil prices, as you see them reflected from one day to the next, is all about speculation. It has really very little to do with supply and demand. It is a, a very large chunk of Wall Street trading futures on oil prices and making these bets based on economic events, geopolitical events, etc. That's what moves oil prices. So again, a lot of the run-up in oil prices was in anticipation of sanctions being put on Russia. Now that that's occurred, that's now being reversed here. So, so again, look, that doesn't mean oil prices are about to go straight down again, but as we showed yesterday, in particular, oil prices had already gotten very extended yesterday. And we were talking about this, and actual oil prices sold off yesterday as well. But oil prices were more than three standard deviations above their long-term means. That's unsustainable long-term. Prices had just gotten well ahead of even what reality is based on current supply and demand. Oil prices had just surged that far. So again, not surprising you're gonna see a correction here in oil prices. You're gonna see a correction in commodity prices really across the board, gold, silver, all these other things. You're going to eventually see a correction and a potential correction of magnitude because of the recent run-up, even in things like gold. Gold has had a very big run-up here over the last few days, and again, selling off a bit yesterday after getting what more than three standard deviations above long-term means again exactly the same situation gold driven by speculation more than supply and demand so the point here is simply this is that headlines are headlines are headlines but make sure that you're not kind of jumping from the frying pan into the fire by making bad decisions based upon headlines and emotional trading that's why we always talk about keeping you know, your trading discipline in place, keeping your perspective in place, and not allowing emotions. But look, I'm, I'm emotional just like everybody else, right? I get, I get emotionally stressed out over our clients' portfolios. It's, you know, their money is very important to me. So I, you know, I have emotional biases as well, but it's very difficult sometimes to keep those emotions in check and not go chasing off after some asset because it's running up. Because generally by the time that you recognize the run up, it's too late to chase it. You've already missed the move. And that could very and this is why you know this leads investors to more often than not buying exuberance and selling panic, which is exactly the opposite of what they should be doing, as as, as is generally always the case. So uh, a couple of things though we did talk about earlier this week. Again, these headlines, what's happening in Ukraine, they're important, not dismissing those at all. But what's also important here is what's happening economically in the U.S. The National Federation of Independent Business yesterday, now this is the organization that represents small businesses all around the country. Small businesses make up more than 50% of the employment of the country, so very crucially important to overall economic activity. Uh, that, and, and we talked about yesterday that because of all this stuff that's going on, uh, the NFIB was expected, expectations were that there was going to be an uptick in, in, in small business confidence. As we said yesterday, that was not likely the case. Of course, that was what was the case. We saw small business confidence decline yesterday. But importantly, we also saw some declines in some very important areas of the survey. Wages declined. Expectations of paying higher wages declined. Expectations of selling 
right? This, this was the most interesting thing because we've talked about, you know, this lack of liquidity, the reversal of liquidity in the markets after we gave businesses or individuals all this money to go buy stuff in 2020, 2021, that's now gone. Expectations of sales for small businesses are now back into or near recessionary territory. So everything that you would expect to be happening and what we're seeing economically now uh, is now starting to suggest and small businesses are, are suggesting that we are likely headed to a recession within the next 12 months. And that's, that's honestly what you would expect from what's happening between headlines in the Ukraine and Russia, you know, two years of COVID lockdowns, all these type of things that's impaired economic psychology and now that we're taking the liquidity support has been removed from the markets all this is starting to reverse at a time where you have these very large rates of inflationary pressures occurring across oil gas food everything else that impacts the household bottom line not surprisingly that consumer confidence consumer spending and consumer attitudes really starting to slow down here. We'll be right back after the break. Lots of stuff to get into this morning with Danny Ratliff as well. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAVSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me as well as uh, we kind of get into this Wednesday edition. Lots of stuff going on. Um, you know, as we were talking about in the beginning segment here, you know, just a tremendous amount of headlines right now. And again, you know, you've got to be careful from the standpoint of investing not to allow headlines to drive your your investment decisions. And, and look, we're all emotional, right? We all make those those decisions. We all have emotions that drive our our practices. But, you know, we've got to try to set some of these things aside and just get to the rationality of what is actually happening. And look, there's there's not a lot of good stuff happening right now. And, you know, this it's certainly easy to, you know, get wrapped up in all the news, right? I mean, there's there's you know, inflation, there's what's happening with the war in Russia. Like I said, good news is not a word on COVID as of late. <laughs> you know, all all that has gone away. I haven't, I haven't heard Dr. Fauci on the media. I've, you know, he has lost his, his media He's lost here. in space. Yeah. What so. a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so, you know, it's good, right? So there's, there's, a, there's a positive news. Um, but again, it's just important not to, it, it's, it's, Fear is what drives headlines. Fear is what drives clicks and, and all this type of stuff. So just try to keep this in, in perspective. And then this is what we talked about on Monday. I'm writing an article about it for next Tuesday as well, just you know about looking at markets and keeping perspective. 
because this is where we tend to make mistakes. Again, I got as I said, I got lots of emails yesterday. He's like, "Want to buy oil? I'm, I'm buying oil. We're about to put sanctions on Russia, right? Uh, oil prices are down today." I was like, "What?" That's what happens. Markets tend to do exactly what you don't expect them to do, and and they have a really good tendency to suck you in right at the peak of something. That's markets are really good at that, and and so now this is what we've got to deal with. But, you know, the next thing that's coming up is next week, we've got the Federal Reserve. And I've been having an argument with Michael Leibowitz all week. He's convinced that the Fed is going to hike rates, be super hawkish because they don't have a choice. And, you know, and, and my argument with him is, is I think there's a real possibility that they back off entirely because of what's happening here. Because particularly with markets down, right, ever since Barack Obama was president, the presidents have now utilized the stock market as a measure of their policy success, right? So the entire presidency of, of Barack Obama, the entire presidency of Donald Trump has been, look at what the stock market's doing. That means I'm doing a good job. And reality was, is look at what the stock market's doing. That means Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and Jerome Powell are doing a good job with quantitative easing because that's what was driving stock prices. But these, the president, you know, forget the polls, right? Forget the presidential approval ratings right now. Look at the stock market. That's the that's the real measure of approval. So I am sure, and I, I shouldn't say I'm sure because I'm never sure about anything. But I am pretty, I'm pretty confident that Jerome Powell's been getting some taps on the shoulder from the White House saying. Yeah, we need to make sure the stock market hangs in there. And, you know, we'll see. This is next Wednesday, but this this is kind of the over-under bet with me and Michael Leibowitz right now. He's suggesting that the Fed's going to remain aggressive. I'm saying they're going to lean a lot more dovish, potentially, at this next meeting, mentioning geopolitics in particular as a risk. And they've already done this. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, recently gave testimony uh, in front of Congress and Senate and and front and foremost in his testimony was the focus on geopolitical risk. And so we, we very well likely see that show up in the meeting minutes or in the actual press conference after the meeting next week. Is there a bet writing on this with you and Michael? Not yet. Uh, we'll, we'll, probably, we'll probably put one on next week. <laughs> so. So, so you think they're going to be more dovish but still hike? No, there's a real possibility they, you know, they should hike. Um, you know, they should have been hiking all of last year, yeah. right? Um, but because of what's going on, where markets are, there's a potential that the Fed comes up with. A, I think they're going to hike a quarter point. You know, yeah. I, I almost think they have to, but with a lot of really dovish language, like we're going to hike a quarter point, but then we're going to wait and see how things kind of shake out over the next, you know, couple of months before we make our next decision. Something like that. We in other words just a a kind of a pullback of some of the more hawkish language. Again, rate hikes are expected to go up by seven times this year and Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley others. Oh, we're going to have seven rate hikes this year. I don't think we get there. But the biggest problem for the Fed is is being trapped at zero and you have a recession and there's plenty of evidence right now that within the next 12 months Again, National Federation of Independent Survey yesterday is trading in recessionary territory. Um, you know, ISM manufacturing indexes, production indexes, those are all starting to roll over here. There's a lot of things that suggest that within 9 to 12 months, we could be on the cusp of a recession if things don't. And again, as always, 
if things remain status quo. That means, you know, this war in Ukraine continues, oil prices remain high, all these type of things. That sh That is going to start to push the economy towards a recession in the next 9 to 12 months. Now, if things change, that's going to change things. Now, couldn't you make that argument as well that because of all this new inflationary pressure on top of everything that we've already seen, mm -hmm. that they could go ahead and be more hawkish? Th that's, that's Mike's argument. Yeah. Um, the argument is that... Or the, the, or I shouldn't say the argument. It's not really an argument. The debate between me and Mike yeah. is the Fed will sacrifice the stock market to battle inflation. My argument is, is I think they will sacrifice the American public to save the stock market for White House politics. We'll see. Yeah, but the, the American public's going to be more thrown, thrown in the fire here versus... They, they really don't care. If, 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 the White House act, if the White House and Powell cared about the American public, you wouldn't have fueled a, you know... Six, uh, 350 percent rise in the stock market since 2009 that only that only benefited the top 10 percent of income earners it's true right so it, you know it's easy to say that oh yeah they've got our, they've got the best intentions of the population but their actions don't actually support that yeah that's very true but when, couldn't you see them falling on that financial stability and uh, after they fight inflation the the question is is that you can't do both right well I know but you can go after it, one if you go if you go after inflation, you're going to have massive financial instability at some point. You're going to Correct. create a credit issue. Which always happens. Which always happens. And then you've got to say, well, I'm not going to bail out the banks again. Yeah. And that's never going to happen. Because who owns the Fed? The banks. The banks. So, uh, again, this is... What no a matter, twisted circle here, right? right? Well, this, this is my whole point. This is my argument. And look, I hope I'm wrong, right? I, I really honestly hope I'm wrong in that... They go after inflation because that's what really impacts the bottom 80% of Americans yeah. and particularly the bottom 30% of income earners. They are the most impacted by inflation. They don't pay taxes. They actually get money back in terms of taxes, but they pay tax heavily because about 90% of their income goes to just paying for the cost of living. And they are very, the inflation is a huge tax on them. So personally, I hope the Fed goes after inflation and sacrifices the stock market because we can short the market, right? We can make money in the markets when the markets are going down. That I'm not worried about. But unfortunately, history suggests that they will focus on financial stability and the wealthy more than the bottom 80%. It makes That's sense. That's just what history says. Yeah. No, you're right. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah. So anyway... <laughs> <laughs> How are you this morning, Danny? I'm doing well. You walked into that one, didn't you? I did. It's okay. <laughs> so, well, but, but that's a good thing because this is what's yeah. on top of everybody's mind, right? Everybody's con extremely concerned with what you just mentioned, the headline news, what the Fed's going to do here shortly. And I think this is something that, you know, it needs to be, we need to visit about this on a regular basis because these are the questions that I get, right? you know, day in and day out, which I'm sure you're, like you mentioned, all the emails you're getting, you're, you're right there too. Right. Well, and, and again, this is, you know, it's, it's interesting because... You know, there's some there. I get emails from people that have really well thought out aspects, mm -hmm. right? That it's like this is going to happen and this is going to happen, so I'm going to invest this way. The problem is you're too late. That you know, the move has already happened in a lot of these areas. So trying to, it's just uh, you know, like nickel. Nickel won't open for trading until Friday right now. So if you were trying, if you were trying to buy nickel, or if you had bought nickel, you can't sell it. You're stuck until Friday, and you know on Friday nickel could open down fifty percent, 
right? And you have no ability to trade this. And this is the problem with some of these things. And that, by the way, that brings up another aspect here real quick. Gold, silver, in particular silver. Um, but a lot of these commodity markets are heavily manipulated, especially the silver market. Silver is one of the most heavily manipulated markets in the world. And there is a lot of, of insider manipulation that happens on those markets and exchanges. So you've also got to be very careful about trading a lot of these markets that you know you think are just simple assets, but there's a lot of manipulation that goes on, uh, particularly in the gold and silver markets. And, and so just that's also something you just have to be aware of. But as we start to look forward here, you know, the next things that are going to start to happen, the Federal Reserve is going to be the next big hurdle next week for the markets. At the same time, we've got this whole issue with Russia, Ukraine, oil prices, sanctions, all this type of stuff weighing and creating more inflationary pressures on the market. And this is why it's a very challenging position. And Mike and I will, will have a lot more detailed conversation on this tomorrow. But this is a very tough position for the Federal Reserve to be in. Because, again, they do have to make a choice. What's happening with the SWIFT market system? What's happening with interest rates? What's happening with you know, with inflationary pressures? Those are all those all can create financial instability, and that's the biggest risk and the biggest worry of the Fed. And I'm not sure they've got an easy answer at this point. And and it's almost one of those tightropes where any step in the wrong direction is going to have a much more exacerbated consequence than we would in a more normal environment. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com FAFSA it's FAFSA season that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid the FAFSA Thursday March 10th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. Well, just when you thought that, um, you know, all of our congressmen and lobbyists were tied up with what's happening in Ukraine and trying to restart oil and gas production. Nope. They're still working uh, on trying to mess up your retirement plans. <laughs> I jest, of course. Uh, headline this morning, lobbyists expect major retirement legislation to pass in 2022. And there's a push from the leadership in the House and the Senate to get the SECURE Act 2.0 passed this year. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? 
you know, I mean, I think there's some good aspects of it and some, some maybe some not so great. And, and really, probably indifferential in some ways because people need their money. And so they've tried to get these bills passed. And just to give you an idea, the House Ways and Means Committee has actually they, they passed many bills last year. Just nobody else passed them. They could never get them to the mm-hmm. floor. And so this was the problem is that they had so many different things that they were trying to do all at once. And so they'd have one little bill here, one here. So this year, the word on the street is, is that they're going to combine all these different bills and, and attach them. And this is a legacy thing. So if you look at Rep. Kevin Brady, Richard Neal, they're both going to be out. Uh, Kevin Brady used to be the head of the House or the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Now Richard Neal is out of Massachusetts. And this is a big deal for them because they've been trying to get some of these bigger portions of, of this legislation for quite some time. And they, they've had a very difficult time doing so. Having some bipartisan support here, I think, is promising that they will get something done. The big thing, and so if you remember, they've done the CARES Act, they did SECURE Act, uh, you know, the SECURE Act, the big thing that they hung their hat on with this one was they moved RMD, required minimum distribution age. So for those of you who have 401ks, IRAs, retirement plans, you have to start taking distributions or used to at 70 and a half. They moved that number to 72. Now their big push is 75. But Lance, if we keep this inflation pressure up, I mean, who's going to be able to wait till 75? Well, the, the, this is the other problem. Yeah. Right. You know, and again, you know, all these bills, we keep we keep messing around the edges, right? We're, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's move this to 75, let's, you know, trim this back over here. Look, this is really easy. You just need people to save for retirement. That's it. I mean, if we take a look at the statistics, uh, you know, it's always very interesting to me. They go, uh, you know, well, everybody contributes to a 401k plan. Well, no, not really. Um, if you actually look at the statistics, only about 50% of employees in the country actually have access to a 401k plan. Of those 50%, only about 50%, that's 25% of all your employees actually contribute to the 401k plan. You know, a lot of people have a 401k plan. They don't contribute to it. Why? Because they can't afford to. They're just trying to make ends meet at at home, right? They can't afford to, to put money in a 401k plan. And this is what always gets me about, you know, CNBC and these, uh, CNBC has this, uh, joint venture with acorns and they have all these videos they put up there it's like if you're 25 and just save 10 percent of your salary for the rest of your entire life until you're 70 you'll have a million dollars in the bank that's awesome if you never lose money and you make 50 grand every year and you yeah no and and no no in, no surges in inflation yep. right yeah you'll have all you'll have a million dollars what they forget to tell you is that million dollars 50 years from now isn't worth a million dollars anymore because of inflation Right, you're going to need two million three. I got a, I've got an article coming out on this here shortly, right? Because they fired me up the other day on this. But the bottom line is, look, we just need people to save more money. So here's a real simple bill to pass that could help alleviate pressure on Social Security, which is grossly underfunded. Remove the limits on retirement saving. Why am I limited to five thousand or six thousand dollars a year in a, in a Roth IRA? Why can't I put in ten? Why can't I put in four? Why can't I put in twelve? You know, whatever I can afford to save for my retirement. Why is there a limit on this? Remove the limits on four hundred one k plans. If I want to put a hundred percent of my paycheck into my four hundred one k plan and I want to eat beans and rice at home, that should be my choice, right? Why am I limited? Well, and the issue is, I think the problem still lies with most people don't have access or can't fund. So another bill they proposed was actually going out and saying all employees need to have a mandatory retirement plan and you know what this was called a pension yeah that we had back in the day <laughs> a couple of you may, may still have those <laughs> yeah and that so there's so many different issues to this is that you know you can you can raise those but then we're gonna have the same problem of why they're going after roth iras with peter thiel because one guy in this whole world yeah you know you utilized in such a way that just he made 
you know, billions of dollars. Right. That he's the exception to the rule. That's not but, what most people have. Right. And that, look, if you you could get rid of 401k plans entirely, that you won't because there's a huge industry in it. Yeah. But literally, you don't need 401k plans. Everybody could just have an IRA with no limit on it. So whatever you put in, you deduct off your taxes and. You know, you save money for retirement. Well, the four hundred and one k plans are nice, though, because you do get the employer contribution, yeah. so it helps you super fund that to some extent. Sure. And so I think that'd be tough to to go away from. But having the ability to do that, not have those contribution limits, and then go and fund an IRA. Well, you and, know, there's, and there's a, there's another one, right? Why am I capped between if I contribute fully to my four hundred and one k plan? Why can't I also put money into an IRA? Yeah, right. That's right. To, I mean, again, why am I limiting savings? The, you know, the one, the the point here, right? We can go through this maturation. It's really oh, easy sure. to solve these problems, but why am I limiting people to save for their retirement? Period. It's, well, it's easy if the government can handle actually bouncing a budget. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, right? So they need your money. That's why they say, well, you can only put so much because we have these people who. And here's the, here's the funny part about mm-hmm. this is that. Who's going to be impacted the most if they put they keep putting more money in, right? The high wage earners, because those mm-hmm. are the guys that can afford to do so. But, oh, I thought they didn't pay their, their fair share of taxes. Right. So why are they limiting them? Because they want them to pay their fair share of taxes. Sure. No, no, I, look, I know the answers to this. I'm yeah. just, we're just, but my point, no, my point is simply this, is that we need to get more people saving for the retirement because Social Security can't afford it. And it is simply a function that is just math, right? It's demographics. You've got baby boomers moving to retirement. They're all starting to draw Social Security. You've got, you know, back in 1940, you had 16 people paying in for every one worker drawing out. Today, it's less than two people paying in. The math just doesn't work, right? So this is why, you know, you've got a huge underfunding problem. And again, we also have continued to expand what Social Security will pay for. You know, originally it was just for workers, and then we've expanded it to widows, orphans, children, you know, immigrants, everybody else. Uh, anything that we could figure out we wanted to pay for somebody for, we threw that into Social Security. So now you have all these this excess draw on a very limited pool of money with, with even a, a smaller income flow coming in every year because of demographics. It's just an, it's, it's an insolvable problem. So the only thing that you can do to help ensure people's retirement so they're not you know, greeters at Walmart for the rest of their life, it's to let them save more for retirement. Well, that's and right. And give them incentive to do so. So, so you're going to love this. So another another proposal that they have is actually to put guaranteed income annuities within 401ks, which very similar in many ways to the pensions, right? Right. Uh, so you have the defined benefit plan, which the there's are employer funded. So that's a really nice benefit. Whereas they've passed the buck on to you now with the defined contribution plan because you have to make those contributions. You mm-hmm. have to manage the risk. And they don't have to worry about it any longer. But now they're going to put something in here that's going to allow you to basically do almost a similar thing as what you would have done previously with that that pension plan is actually give you the ability to create your own pension right. inside the 401k. Which you should, which yeah. again, you know, that was the biggest, the biggest mistake we ever made was 401k plans. Um, and as soon as co- corporations figured out they could shove off the entire liability of the pension plan onto the employee, that was a, that was a huge a huge profit for corporations. But there was a day where corporations actually cared for their employees and, you know, ensured that they had <laughs> had retirement. So, you know, we've done everything we can to kill, you know, retirement security for a vast chunk of Americans today. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, the problem is, is that with 401k plans, the, there's a reason that a lot of businesses don't have 401k plans. They're expensive. They're confusing. They're complicated to, to operate. 
and you know, in order to get you know under what they call safe harbor, I've got to make a contribution to the plan, and I don't necessarily have the profit margin to do that, so I just won't offer them. But this is where we go back to: there needs to be a very simple process to allow businesses to offer plans to their employees at some little or no cost to the actual company itself. If, if, if your goal is to stay away from pensions, have a no cost option to allow your employees to save money out of their paycheck. You know, I think that most of these, these proposals and things that have been done it actually have made a lot of these things easier. They've been more efficient. Uh, they've done multiple employer plans. I mean, mm -hmm. that's why we have somebody strictly here at RIA who does nothing but retirement benefits. That's it. And so I think that this is a big industry and there's a big area where, you know, we found that, hey, there's a better way to do a lot of these things and have somebody who's held captive to one place that can only do this. We can have somebody go out and shop and find the best of the best. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. So you mentioned, you know, when 401ks were created. Yeah. So back in 1978, Ted Benna, basically, he created 401ks strictly for the purpose of a loophole. It was a loophole right. in the tax code and it was to help other people save additional funds. And he on said, top of their pension. On top of the pension. He said it was the worst thing he's ever done yeah. was creating this. Because exposing that loophole gave all these, em these employers a way out. And then now it's put the burden on, on everybody else, on you right. and I. Well, and, and again, you know, this is, I've got an article. I've got another article I'm writing right now. You know, after, after three of the, if you go back to 1980, we've had the three biggest bull markets in history. And 80% of Americans don't have $500 in the bank. That just goes to tell you that investing doesn't really work the way they tell you on television. You know, just stick your money in. It'll go up over time, and it's all great. If it did, you wouldn't have 80% of Americans with less than $500 in the bank. Yeah, but that goes back to, to just bad habits, I think. You look, no, it's look, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, but also two big bear markets in between wiped out a whole lot of wealth, and then people do exactly the opposite of what they should do instead of putting money in at the bottom – Oh, by the way, because the they didn't have any savings to add at the bottom. <laughs> you know, they sold at the bottom and then they didn't come back in. For hey, man, we got a years. stimulus check. I mean, we're going to be rich. <laughs> no? Is how this works? Yeah. Mr. Optimism over here, Danny Ratliff, joining us this morning. They're not going to keep giving those? You just put it in the market, close your yes, eyes? Yes. Actually, no, we are going to keep getting stimulus checks. And we'll talk about why that is going to happen right after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com FAFSA it's FAFSA season that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid the, the FAFSA. FAFSA Thursday March 10th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season realinvestmentadvice.com the Real Investment Show.
Welcome back to the show this morning. So just for the break, just talking a little bit about, you know, retirement savings. And, you know, the problem is, is that it's not that people don't want to save for retirement. You know, the thing that really kind of, you know, bugs me a bit is these kind of armchair articles that are out there that just like, oh, if you just save, you know, $25 a day or whatever it is, you'll have X amount of dollars. And Again, it all sounds great. It requires you to get 6% annually every year, no changes to inflation, no, you know, recessions, you know, no market downturns, you know, those type of things. And that's why, you know, when you go back and, and look at reality uh, of statistics, and yes, part of it is, to Danny's point exactly, is that Americans have very bad financial habits. We don't teach good financial habits. We don't teach, you know, it's, it's interesting. My wife and I had this conversation is that, you know, when we were going through school, we were talking to our kids about this because all of our kids just, you know, type with like two fingers. They're very fast, right? But they type with like two fingers. And my wife and I were talking about is that, you know, when I was in high school, my mom required me to go take a typing class, which was the best thing she ever did, you know, because I know how to type. And, you know, and, and, you know, we taught our, you know, our parents taught kids you know, back then, you know, important skills, how to balance a checkbook, why you don't use credit card debt, you know, these type of things. And we don't teach kids that. And, you know, Danny had a good conversation about this the other day, talking about, you know, going to the arcade with his kids and, you know, going to give them a bunch of quarters so they see when they run out of quarters, but nobody takes quarters anymore. So, you know, it's criminal. It's just, you know, you slide a card and and it's not, and this is the problem with debit cards, right? And, and, you know, it irritates my daughter when we go places. I still pay cash for stuff for the simple reason that I, you know, it reminds me when I run out of cash, I've got to go down to the bank, I've got to get more cash, so it slows my slows my roll, so to speak, on spending money. And my daughter it just irritates her because it takes so long. You know, people trying to figure out how to make change and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which is also another entirely fun thing to watch is to go to a store and watch people make change. They have no idea how to Everybody's do Everybody's behind him at the grocery store. Come on, boomer. I know, right, right. But it, there's, I'm trying to teach my kids lessons, but, you know, it, it, it doesn't sink in. They're like, Dad, just use a credit card, right? But, and, and you know, despite the fact I'm trying to teach them good lessons, it's, it's you know, society, advertising, everything you see on television, Right. Just put it on your credit card. It'll be fine. And by the way, put it on your credit card. We're going to give you points. They don't tell you about all the other crap that goes along with the points so called interest that's <laughs> at right. 20%. Well, that, that's the thing, too, is like you can use a lot of these things to your advantage, like those points, but mm -hmm. you have to pay it off each and every month. So then you get to just describe a whole other equation you know, with the kids of like, okay, well, here's how you would do this, mm -hmm. which right now for mine, they have no idea. They don't still don't understand that. Um, you know, like I think I told you they were looking at play sets one time and, you know, the little guy said, Hey, we're the guys, the guys, <laughs> the guys with the truck, what truck well, with my play set. I'm like, wait a second. We looked at it out online. Right. They did it. He did it again the other day with Legos. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Right. Best thing talking about typing my, my young, no middle one a couple days ago, actually, I was typing, doing something. He's like, man, you could do that fast. He's like, but how come the alphabet's all screwed up on there? <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, that's a good point, buddy. So we'll talk about that someday. <laughs> exactly. But so, but where we left off, and the, and the point about uh, the small segue is that we left off talking about stimulus checks. And, you know, unfortunately, we have also taught bad financial habits to Washington now. And, you know, while Americans have terrible financial habits, they don't save money, 
they live well beyond their means. In fact, you know, I run a, a, a piece of analysis called the spending gap. Prior to 1990, income and savings supported the cost of living. In other words, you, you could actually, out of your income and what you had in savings, you could pay for your cost of living on an inflation-adjusted basis. Beginning in 1990, it then required debt in addition to your income and savings to pay for that standard of living. Today, there's about a $16,000 annual gap between income and wages and savings and your cost of living. And a big chunk of that has to go on to debt every year. So people are just compounding debt every single year to keep up with just the cost of living. And this is why we have record credit card debt, why we have record debt you know, for consumers, period, because of that inability to keep our lifestyle <laughs> within the confines of our income. But this has also become a problem in Washington. And uh, the unfortunate lesson that we taught politicians in 2020 was that giving out free money was good for them politically. So to your point, Danny, is that, yeah, stimulus checks may be gone for the moment, but you can almost guarantee that in the next economic downturn, the first thing that politicians are going to resort to is sending out checks to households again because they got a lot of political benefit from that. It was terrible for the economy. It created this inflationary surge. Well, but politically, it was good for them in the short run. Hey, midterms are coming up. Yep. My bet is is that they're going to fight inflation with more checks. And so they're going to fight inflation with more inflation, essentially. Correct. I don't know if they'll get that done before midterms, though. Wouldn't surprise well, me if they tried. No, it won't surprise me if they tried, but you know, Build Back Better seems yeah. to have, have died its eventual death. Yeah. So, and, that was, and that was actually a good thing, because that would have created a lot more inflation. Um, I don't know if there's enough political goodwill at this point to do another round of stimulus checks unless the economy is in tough, a well, tough position. We had this inflation problem prior to this war overseas yeah. that was created partly because of these checks. Yeah. And and it wouldn't surprise me to see them do it again. I, no, I, I'm not arguing with you. Yeah. It's uh, they're, they're coming. It's a question of what triggers it, right? Correct. You know, do you need an economic downturn? Do you need financial instability? Do you need what? What do you need? But there's there's some trigger point here that the first thing politicians will go back to is what seemed to have worked previously, and what seemed to have worked previously is giving people money, even though they will completely forget about the part that it causes inflation. A lot of it, because as we talked about on Monday, and we have an article on the website right now about inflation and saying, you know, no corporations are not, they're not greedy corporations are not creating inflation. It's simply that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And all, the only people that can print money is Washington, D.C. That's right. So how long can this inflation last? High prices are a cure for high prices, my friend. But, you know, so we had high prices already, right? We had mm -hmm. corporations coming out and they're, they're, forward guidance talking about, hey, we've raised prices so many times this year. We likely, we don't feel like we're going to be able to continue to pass that on. Well, they uh, can't already. The consumer. So what happens now, though? So, you, I mean, you start looking across the globe. I mean, commodity prices are through the roof. Mm -hmm. You've got, I was reading some articles about just all of the ships at, or barges that are stuck in the Black Sea. They can't, you know, you, you get 30% of the world's grain and wheat from, from Russia and Ukraine. You also get about 16% of all of the corn, which I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. 
from Ukraine. And you were not getting that anywhere. That's just a small portion of, of you know, bigger picture. Here. Right, right. No, um, Ukraine is one of the, you know, Ukraine, Russia, et cetera. They're kind of the breadbasket of Europe. So, you know, there's a lot of a, a lot of commodities that come from those two countries that are getting impacted. Look, I mean, you, you know, inflation will cure itself because when you get into a recession, what, what is inflation? It's too much demand mm-hmm. and too little supply, right? That, that is all inflation is. Eventually, two things happen. One, demand falls. Two, supply rises. Even if supply remains the same and demand falls, prices will come down. But supply will rise. We will eventually get past whatever this is. Um, either we'll turn, you know, oil producers will start producing more oil in the U.S. There, you know, there was a very interesting debate between a reporter and Jen Psaki yesterday at, at the White House. And she was trying to defend the fact that you know, the rise in oil prices has only been a function of, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? Which is obviously not the case. Oil prices were they're going up way before then. Yeah, they were going up way before then. But the point is, is that at some point, high prices will draw in more supply. Producers are going to produce. They'll be more inclined. Exactly. So as price, as supply rises and as demand falls, inflation will fall. And in fact, probably by this time next year, we're going to be having this conversation on the show talking about when is disinflation going to stop disinflating. So, so to speak to that just a tad bit. So yep. disinflation versus deflation, deflation, right? So disinflation is a little bit different than deflation because it means you still have inflation, but it's, it's just lower than what it was. Yeah. Right. So basically, it's, you have inflation, right? Prices are going mm-hmm. up. Then you have prices declining. So that's disinflation. Yep. So inflation's coming down, but it's still positive inflation. Negative inflation is deflation, right? So when you actually yep. have negative year-over-year changes, that's where you start having deflation. And that will occur also. As we get into 2023, we will probably be talking about deflation here on the show. We'll be talking about interest rates back below 1% and those type of things. That's coming, and that'll be coincident with a recession whenever that sets in. Again, timing of all this is very negligible because things change. We have a very fluid environment, you know, changes to what's happening in Russia, change to Fed policy, change to political policy can contract or expand the time frame to these next economic events, but they are coming. And it's just and they're almost kind of baked into the to the deck right now that it will happen unless something dramatically changes. But this is again, this is why as we've talked about before, making a one-sided bet on something is generally not a good way to go because things do change and they have a really bad habit of changing exactly when you make your investment in the other direction. Just like these headlines, (laughs) just like day-to-day markets right now. Mm -hmm. One day the next. Yeah. Sold out yesterday thinking markets were going lower over sanctions. Yeah, you'd be wrong. Markets up 500 points this morning on the Dow. That's, That's the whole point. Makes no sense whatsoever but this is the environment we're in. All right, that wraps up the show for today. Danny, thank you so much for joining, as always. Uh, Michael Lee, what's here tomorrow? We'll be talking about our bet on the Fed because that meeting is coming up next week. Uh, be sure and get by the website. In the meantime, realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike's latest article is out this morning talking about gas prices and economic recessions. That's on the website now. Um, while you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. Been getting a lot of emails, a lot of comments lately. Glad to answer them. Send them on my way, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.